Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA podcast on FlowCombat.com is brought to you by my favorite MMA and BJJ clothing brand. I, of course, am talking about ADK Fightwear. We all have goals in our training. Some of us want to be world champions. Some of us just want to lose that 30 pounds. But whatever mountain you're trying to climb, ADK is right there for you. Meet them on the top of that mountain. And right now, weave up the Andy. If you use promo code TURTLE, that's T-U-R-T-L-E, you're not only going to get the standard 10% that we usually give you off, you're going to get a full 20% off your whole order. So go to ADKFightwear.com right now. You won't be sorry. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and I have the pleasure today of speaking to Brian Boom Kelleher, who fights John Lineker at UFC 224 in Brazil on May 12th. Uh, Brian, last week you tweeted that Cody and TJ didn't need to worry. The UFC already told you you'd be the next world champ. Is that something in the UFC actually said, or were you just ruffling their feathers? No, you know, I was just having a little bit of fun with it. Uh, that's just me speaking from the heart. I, I, I believe in myself 100%, and uh, I do believe I'm the next guy. So uh, I got to do what I got to do for this fight, and, and after that, we'll go from there. Yeah, and you, and you said sort of uh, you'll do what you do in this fight, and then after that, uh, we'll figure it out. You, you said you need a title shot by the end of the year. You expect a title shot by the end of the year. Who do you got to be other than Lineker to get that shot? You know, I got to make a statement against Lineker. Uh, I always say this. I never look past the guy. I, I don't want it to sound like that. Lineker's a really tough opponent, really hard to finish, but I'm going to take him out. I got to make a statement, and then uh, we'll go from there. Like I said, uh, I hope they can give me a title contender fight after this. It looks like everybody's booked in my division ahead of me, except for maybe Dominic Cruz. I don't know when and if he's coming back, but that would be a great fight for me to, to fight a guy to get a title shot after that. Uh, I, I would be interested in that. Uh, other than that, if they could match me up against maybe the winner of Rivera and Marias for a title contender fight, I would take that as well. Yeah, and I was actually going to mention that too. Uh, you know, Jimmy Rivera and Marlon Marias squaring off later on. Uh, you, you have a loss in your career too, Jimmy Rivera. Uh, is that one that you really feel like you want back? Yeah, I definitely want that one back. Uh, I, I remember fighting him way back, and, and it was a competitive fight. It was a close fight. And I just, you know, both of us got better from then, obviously. But uh, I think I, I think we can take him out now. I think I have a more well-rounded game. And he's a guy that's doing really well in the UFC. He, he's really running through the, through the division right now. So uh, he's a guy I would like to fight and uh, be able to avenge that loss and, and perhaps get a title shot off of him as well. Yeah, and speaking of redemption, so I wanted to talk about another piece. So your only loss in the UFC uh, is basically at home in Long Island, close to where you live. Uh, I know some fighters don't like a hometown fight. Dennis Bermudez told us he wasn't a big fan of fighting at home. Is is fighting back in New York City and something you're looking forward to again, or is fighting at home too much of a distraction for you and you prefer to be the enemy on the away soil? You know, I, I, I don't have a preference, really. I think a fight is a fight. No matter where it is, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it definitely felt a little weird fighting at home for the first time, being that I've been fighting for so many years. 
and I've, I've never fought at home in front of my fans before, but I, I want redemption 100%, and what better story to, to come back to MSG for a title fight in November. Uh, I think timing is everything. Uh, I'd like to get this fight in, fight again in August for that title contender fight, and then perhaps set myself up for a November uh, title shot at MSG. That sounds like perfect timing right there. Uh, so let's let's talk about too this one coming up because obviously we've overlooked it a little bit here. Uh, you heading in Brazil again? Uh, you, you played spoiler once already in Brazil, beating Yuri Alcantara on short notice. Is that something you asked for to go back to Brazil, or is it just happened they came to you with this fight against a Brazilian in Brazil and you signed up for it? You know when I asked for Lineker, I. I assumed that they were going to try to book him for Brazil because he's from there. And, you know, he has a little bit of seniority over me with the UFC. So I had a little bit of a feeling that they would do that. I originally asked for the fight in Atlantic City uh, to stay a little bit closer to here because, you know, traveling sucks when you're cutting weight and everything. But the good thing is I've done it before, like you said. So I went through it. I already know what to expect. And so it really doesn't bother me. In the end, the fight to fight, like I said, in uh you know, I, I, I'm one of those guys that, that thrives in a hostile territory and being in the away crowd, uh, something I do do really well with. Yeah, and, and certainly Brazil is one of the most intense of the away crowds. You said there is some uh, some things that are difficult about fighting that far away, particularly the wake up. What would you say the hardest part about fighting in Brazil is? Yeah, to me, it's just the travel. You know, it's more of a nuisance. It's not really like a big deal or anything, but... You know, to fly 10 hours in the middle of, you know, your weight cut and to have to, you know, get used to that. And, and you know, but the good thing about Brazil, though, it's not much of a time difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I fought in Poland, that was a bit of a struggle to get used to the six-hour time difference. But I believe Brazil is only like one hour different. So at least, you know, you won't, your body won't feel different. You won't feel too off. So that's a good thing. But, uh, yeah, it's just a 10-hour flight. It's just a pain in the ass. But it's no big deal in the end. Mm-hmm. So let, let's talk specifically about your upcoming opponent, John Lineker. Very different than your average bandweight. There's not a whole lot of bandweights out there that we would call like pure power punchers, but that seems to be what Lineker is. How do you get ready for a style like that in such a small guy, uh, and what sort of unique things have you had to do to get ready for it? You know, uh, my coach does a really good job. My striking coach, Nabeel Barakat, he watches film. I don't really watch film myself because I'm big on just being myself in there. Improvisation is a big strength of mine, being able to adapt on the fly. And that's the fun part for me. So I already know what Lineker brings. I know he's a power puncher. He likes to mix it up to the body, to the head. He really just looks to box. You know, he doesn't throw a lot of kicks or throw a lot of level changes to takedowns in there. Uh, he's somewhat one-dimensional, and I know he's a threat because he has power, but to me, uh, there's a lot more to my game than there is to his game, and I'm going to exploit his weaknesses. And so you, you mentioned already, too, that you were planning on you know, winning this fight, making a statement so that you can move on towards that title shot. What's your prediction? How do you make a statement against John Lineker on May 12th? You know, John Lineker is someone who's really hard to finish, so you have to go into the fight assuming that it's going to go the distance you know, being ready for a war, which is what I am. I, I, I always come with great cardio. I'm always in great shape. I push a high pace. I got a good pressure pace. And uh, that's what I bring every time. So I'm always ready for the long fight. But, of course, every fight I want the quick finish. It's just not always that way. Uh, you, you can't assume that it's going to go that way. But Linick, there's a guy who, you know, Dillashaw fought him and broke his jaw. The guy's still in there fighting back. So 
that says a lot about him. He has he has a, a no quit attitude, and that's what I bring to the table as well. So I'm going in there to just put the pressure on him. I'm not going to fight him scared like a lot of these other guys who back up and just cover up and try to run away from him. I'm going to bring the pressure to him as well. And of course, I got to be a little bit aware of his power, but I have power too. So I'm sure he's going to feel it in there. And uh, I just got to mix things up and keep good movement, and I should get the win. That sounds hell of exciting right there, too. I want to ask one more question before we let you go. You know, a lot of fighters are not really good at branding themselves, but just taking a look at your social media, I love the branding that you do around the boom stuff. Uh, You know, there's boom hats, boom shirts, and anytime you're at one of your fights, you can see a hundred of them in the stands. Where did that idea come from and sort of what inspired that moniker for you? Yeah, I actually, uh, I actually got a boom pendant coming. Uh, uh, fourteen karat gold. It's got diamonds in it. It's gonna be nice. I've, I've been like infatuated with gold, so I got a, a nice boom logo, my my personal logo, coming in gold for me for this fight. I'll have it for media day and stuff like that. But uh, the boom nickname is just something that I always would say the word in the past. Uh, when I first started training professionally with uh, Team Bomb Squad up in Ithaca. Um, we, we, you know, it was just a word that I would say all the time. Like, for example, if someone had something uh, like a nice pair of shoes, like I'd be like, yo, boom, look at those, you know, like just, or if someone caught you with a nice punch, you'd be like, boom, like that was nice. It was just a word that I would use. And, uh, so people started calling me that. And then I, I came up with the logo with the two grenades in the middle and that's just how everything came about. Well, it's awesome that you're infatuated with gold because there might be some in the near future. Once again, Brian Kelleher fights John Lineker at UFC 224 in Brazil on May 12th. Brian, thank you again for the time so much. All right, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And that interview was, of course, brought to you by Dead Frog Brewery. There is a craft beer explosion right now in North America, and some don't know how to separate the contenders from the pretenders. Let me help you out a little bit. Dead Frog is not only a contender, they are the champ. This past weekend, they picked up the people's choice for best beer at the Ankh Anagan Festival. Uh, for their Blueberry Blast Kettle Sour. And that's just one of their amazing beers. They got dozens of them. Check them all out at deadfrog.ca or get some at your local liquor store today. And we, of course, are Dave and Dan with Top Turtle MMA on flowcombat.com. And that was Brian Kelleher. Dave, what'd you think? Uh, yeah, you know, Kelleher, I like this guy's got big visions. He wants to go all the way to the top, much like our sponsor, ADK Fightwear. Meet us at the top. Cheap plug right there. But I like the way this guy talks. And hey, surprise, surprise, this guy's on a two-fight win streak and a win over Lineker, three in a row, plus a win over former champ Hen and Burrell. I He's got a point about title contention. Yeah, and he, he's really, uh, if you don't count him getting caught in a submission by Marlon Vera in, in Long Island, uh, it, it's a five-fight win streak if that fight doesn't fall through that way. With a win over Uriel Cantara, too, who's been a top 15 guy for a long time, Kelleher really has built up a very impressive resume in a very short period of time. What do you give his chances? We'll obviously save it for the breakdown when we get closer to it, but early look right now, what do you think his chances are against Lineker down in Brazil? I I do think he's 100% right in the way that he talked about it. He is more well-rounded than John Lineker. There's no doubt about it. John Lineker is a sit-on-his-punches kind of power puncher who looks to put the pressure on. Freaking Brian Kelleher has proven he can deal with pressure. So the real question just winds up being here is can he outpoint him enough to make sure that he wins this fight?
I like it. Well, we had a hell of a fight this past weekend, UFC on Fox 29. Uh, we imagine you're a hardcore MMA nerd if you listen to our podcast, and we'll assume you already know the results, but uh, Dustin Poirier outlasting a game, as always, Justin Gaethje. I had Gaethje actually winning that fight, uh, although apparently Poirier was up on two of the judges' scorecards before Oof. scoring the TKO, which... I, I did not know that. That is brutal, man. Yeah, just typical judge insanity, but... The no, fight nobody it, knows what a leg kick is. The fight itself, I could watch that fight on on loop, on repeat. You could give me Poirier versus Gaethje, you know, once every three months, and I'd be a very happy fan. Those two guys left it all in the cage, as they say. Yeah, here's a question, too. How close is Poirier to a title shot? He called for it. I, I don't think he's off base that he's he's definitely in that mix. Yeah, I mean, I would like to... I think the logical next step is him versus Eddie Alvarez since the first fight ended in some chicanery. I would like to see Eddie Alvarez, the last fight of his contract, if he can score that win, I think you give him a title shot back. He's a former champ. Or if Poirier cements the fact that he, you know, he beats Alvarez, then for me, he's the ne- he would be a next title challenger depending on what's going on with Tony Ferguson, who's always injured, or what's going on with Conor McGregor, who's an insane person and sometimes winds up in jail. Yeah, and I also like uh, Poirier could definitely fight the winner of the main event this weekend between Kevin Lee and Edson Barboza, and I would have no qualms about that being like a title eliminator type fight. I mean, there are just so many. How about this? How about Ally Aquinta not on, you know, 12 hours notice off of one more win? There are so many guys who I actually think have a bona fide claim to a title shot. 155 is stacked. Yeah, it would be a sick time to put together like an eight-person fucking tournament. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing with Poirier. You know, it's a he's three three wins, one no contest in his last four. Uh, Don't forget, he got knocked out by Michael Johnson back in September of 2016. Reels off a win over Jim Miller. The no contest due to illegal knees uh, with Eddie Alvarez. Then he beats Anthony Pettis, not the same Anthony Pettis we know and love. And then Gaethje with his let's call it reckless style. Um, he outlasts him. He yeah. took Gaethje's best punch, man, though. Oh, absolutely. That, that's absolutely. insane. I, I think for me, I would not, I'm not going to cry if he has to fight one to two more times to get that title shot. Just is what it is. That division's so stacked. Look at Tony and Habib. They had to reel off nine wins in a row to get their title shots. Him versus Tony would be a sick fight. I take my money right now. That yeah, yeah they're so, so good. You could almost with those top eight. I don't have the rankings in front of me, but all the guys we've just mentioned: Lee Barbosa, um, Ally Quinta, Tony Ferguson, Gaethje. Connor, and then of course the Champa Beeb. You can almost give me any combination of that, short throw, of throw oh. Michael Chiesa in there too. I, I like Kiesa very much. I, love Kiesa. I, I was going to say short of, I don't need to see Habib and Al run back. I don't need to see Habib and Barbosa run back. Other than those fights, um, yeah, you could give pull me, him out of a hat. Yeah, pull him out of a hat, and, and I'd be a happy camper. Now, UFC on Fox 29 also had something that's going to kick off our combat countdown. We, of course, are grappling nerds, so we always have to call attention to when a fucking Oma Plata takes place in the UFC. Um, you know, this was the second Oma Plata that ever happened in the UFC. The Shout first, out to Ben Saunders. <laughs> the first was your boy, Ben Saunders. And then this past weekend, UFC on Fox... You had, I am just going to butcher his name. And when I say butcher, I mean butcher his name. Adam Weiserjack. Uh, Weiserjack. 
Wysorek defeating Arjun Buller with an Omoplata. What did you think when you saw that thing? Oh, man, I, I thought Arjun, and I'm obviously a big fan of Arjun Buller being, you know, a friend of the show twice. Um, you know, his wrestling looked really good, but you kept seeing those openings for Wysorek on the ground. It, and as a guy who uses lots of Omoplatas and Gogopatas in his game, it, it's so exciting to see whether you were rooting for the guy or not. <laughs> yeah, so that'll lead us into our combat countdown. Let's have the long-lost buffer uh, third brother, Melvin Melvin, Melvin Buffer, <laughs> as we've named him, play our combat countdown intro. Gumby, are you ready? I'm ready. Play that music. Let's go, Melvin. It's time for the combat countdown. Rare submissions in recent UFC history. We take this back a couple of years, back to 2015, so about three years. We wanted to look at what are those rare submissions, because Gumby, let's have a quick talk here. The most popular submissions in MMA at this point, I guess you'd have to say rear naked choke, armbar, guillotine, um, even the... I bet it's rear naked guillotine and then armbar. I wasn't even ranking them. I'm just throwing them out there. Yeah, uh, yeah I'd yeah. say the triangle has really fallen off. I mean, when's the last time you really saw a triangle? Uh, oh well, Tony Ferguson hit one on Kevin Lee. Yeah, but yeah, they're not they're not as common as they used to be. Not as common as they used to be. And same thing with leg locks. We haven't really seen since Paul Harris left the game. How many leg locks do you really see each year in the UFC? Two? Yeah, not not many, in, unless you count the Ultimate Fighter that had Ryan Hall on it. <laughs> right, right. Ryan Hall, a different story. So we wanted to look at some of the more rare submissions. So uh, should you kick this off to me or will I kick this off to you? Uh, I can kick this off to you. All right, let's go. All right, number five, we have Aljamain Sterling arm trialing triangle from the bottom against Takeo Mizugaki at UFC on Fox 15 in April of 2015. Yeah, so what's so crazy about this is obviously we've seen a lot of arm triangles in the UFC. Maybe the most famous one, Brock Lesnar, second round against uh, Shane Carwin after losing the first round. It's a power man move. I feel like a lot of you know people with wrestling backgrounds typically take to the arm triangle very well. It applies itself very well in MMA because you can hit it from the mount position, which is obviously a dominant position. So Aljamain Sterling hits an arm triangle choke no big deal right what record screech hold the phone he hit it from the bottom okay that is so freaking crazy the technique you have to do to hit that from the bottom i just couldn't be more impressed with it it's very deserving of being in the top five this was back in 2015 aljo a prospect at the time sky's the limit i really hope he gets back on the winning track because he's someone you know i think if he can really put a striking together. He's someone that has a lot of tools on the ground should the fight ever end up there, as evidenced by arm triangling Takeo Mizugaki from the bottom. Yeah, and it, it should go without it shouldn't go without note that Takeo Mizugaki has got some grappling chops too, so that makes this even more impressive. However, he does not have as many grappling chops as the second victim on our list. Number four, Ben Rothwell go-go chokes Josh Barnett on January of 2016 at UFC on Fox 18. I, what can you really say about this? First of all, Ben Rothwell, you look at, and if you've been a fan of his career, as I know both of us have been, you never really thought of him as a submission specialist, let alone having one specific uh, submission that he was really good at. But enter the go-go choke. This guy hit it 
two fights in a row, okay? He got it on Josh Barnett, like you said, in January of 2016, but that was right after getting it on Matt Mitrione. Okay, now Matt Mitrione definitely doesn't have grappling chops. Maybe not the hugest deal, but the fact that he then turns around, hits the same submission on motherfucking Josh Barnett, who never gets tapped out. Josh Barnett is a catch wrestling submission specialist, okay? He doesn't get tapped out in grappling events, and he sure as fuck hadn't gotten tapped out in MMA in forever, and and, uh, Ben Rothwell's the one to do it? Mind-blowing. Yeah, and I guarantee you could have gotten that prop, Ben Rothwell, uh, submission over Josh Barnett at like 15 to 1 or some crazy (laughs) shit like that. However, what you would have not gotten the crazy odds on was the next submission. Number three, Alexi Olenek hits an Ezekiel choke in bottom mount against Victor Pesta in January of 2017 at a fight night. Yeah, earned him a performance of the night bonus, as it should. Again, it's a submission from the bottom. First ever Ezekiel choke in the UFC. If you're not familiar with the Ezekiel choke, very popular when you have the gi. Not so much popular in no gi. Certainly not popular in MMA. Never happened in the UFC before. But again, much like Aljamain Sterling, two places behind him, Alexia Linick hit this from the bottom with Victor Pesta mounted. So a position you would think that uh, he's in a disadvantage, but to be able to lock up an Ezekiel choke, kind of a surprise, almost Hail Mary pass, Uh, just absolutely incredible, and for it to be the first Ezekiel choke ever. I mean, look, how many fucking Von Flew chokes have we seen recently? OSP has like three of them himself. That used to be a rare submission, but never an Ezekiel choke, which, to be honest, is somewhat like a basic BJJ 101 move. You go into any BJJ school, you'll probably learn the, the Ezekiel choke within your first year. Um, but certainly not from bottom and certainly not if you're, you know, uh, specifically an MMA fighter, not really something your coach is going to want you to have very mm-hmm. weird tool that a broke out there, but got him the win nonetheless. Yeah. Shout out to Ronnie. Yeah. Too, who de- oh, got one in the regional circuit before he made it to the WEC. Um, Yaya. number two is, is the submission from this past weekend, Adam Wysorek, Omo Plata on Arjun Buller. Yeah, I mean, Adam Wyzerich, whose name I just learned to pronounce because I heard you say it, so impressive. Uh, the Polish uh, fighter has six submission wins on his record. Standard stuff, rear naked choke, a bunch of arm bars. But then pulling out an Omo Plata, as we already said, kind of did the sneak peek earlier on a wrestler the caliber of Arjun Buller, just just incredible. You really don't see that a wrestler would necessarily get a shoulder uh, isolated like that. I feel like wrestlers, even without the submission um, skills of, let's say, someone who's been a BJJ practitioner, sambo, judo, what have you, a submission art, typically the wrestler's they have pretty good posture. You know, maybe you catch them in a triangle when they're uh, overextending themselves, trying to pass or what have you, or they're not used to the guard. But Arjun Buller, man, I mean, it's in the name. The guy's a fucking bull. And uh, to have his arm isolated like that for an omoplata, only the second omoplata, not to mention the first omoplata, came from a guy you would assume does omoplatas, right? Ben Saunders, 10th yeah. Planet guy, mixed martial artist to the fucking fullest. Um, you know, has been an MMA guy for years. You just have a feeling someone who likes rubber guard. He's probably pulled off a couple of thousand omoplatas in his time. Uh, this was just this past weekend. So surprising and pretty awesome to see at that weight class. Yeah. At heavyweight, it's almost unheard of. And 
he almost had that go-go plata before the Omo plata, which would have been absolutely insane too. But that brings us to number one on our list of the most rare submissions in recent UFC history, and that's Brett John's calf slicer on Joe Soto at the tough finale in December of 2017. Yeah, so we already said it a little bit, right? We're not seeing as many leg locks in the UFC. Uh, I think that's because the UFC, or MMA in general, I should say, has become almost like its own singular art, and I feel like coaches have gotten really good at coaching their fighters uh, defensive jiu-jitsu, right? We're just not seeing as many submissions. More and more people are getting good at takedown defense. So even if you are a submission specialist, it's tough to implement it. I mean, you even saw that with Damian Maya, who is by far and away the best MMA submission grappler on the planet right now, I would I would think, right? Uh, yeah, has, I, I, I would put him at number one. Has no problem. Once he gets people to the ground, it's all over. But when he went against Tyron Woodley, you know, a wrestler with good takedown defense, what could Damian Maya do? The answer is fucking nothing. So bottom line is, I think as more and more uh, fighters get used to takedown defense, and we've talked about this on the show before, it's what allows a guy like Connor to do what he does on his feet, right? It's, a, it's what allowed Holly Holm to keep it standing versus Ronda Rousey. You're going to see less and less submissions. So we've seen less and less leg locks. But then, out of nowhere, Brett Johns, our Canadian hero, pulls off a calf slice. Oh, no, no, not Canadian. Welsh, man. Oh, is he Welsh? He's Welsh, my friend. Uh, I apologize to Canada and Wales and Brett Johns. I could have sworn he was out of Canada. Are you sure uh, about that? Can we get yeah, the answer on it? I'm 150% sure. He okay. was part of our Welsh countdown. God damn it, you're right. Okay, so I apologize for that. But that being said... Brett Johns pulling it off on Joe Soto. Here's what also makes that amazing. Not only is it rare and we're not seeing as many leg locks. One, it's a calf slicer, which is fucking badass. Two, it was against Joe Soto. Joe Soto is an amazing grappler. Joe Soto made it to a finals uh, in EBI um, against uh, which then her death squad member did he go against? Um, well, he's only a 35er, so I'm guessing Eddie Cummings. It was Eddie Cummings, correct. And, uh, yeah, you know, he succumbed to Eddie Cummins, but who doesn't? But he got three wins in an EBI. Joe Soto is a great grappler. And the fact that he could survive an EBI where guys are going for nothing but leg locks and then gets caught in a calf slicer in UFC, uh, just wild, wild stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And before I cut it back and count down these five for you one more time, we wanted to give an honorable mention to a, a submission that was really awesome, super rare, uh, but just a little bit too old to be on our list, and that was UFC 181 uh, about five years ago when Raquel Pennington bulldog choked Ashley Evans-Smith, uh, one of my personal favorites. She put her out cold. Uh, so we wanted to give that a mention before we counted this back down, but... Number five was Aljamain Sterling's arm triangle from the bottom on Takeo Mizugaki. Number four, Ben Rothwell, go-go chokes Josh Barnett. Number three, Alexi Olenek, Ezekiel chokes Victor Pesta from the bottom and mount. Number two, Adam Wyzorek, Omoplata on Arjun Boer this past weekend. And number one is Brett John's calf slicer defense to the single leg takedown on Joe Soto uh, back in December of 2017. So there you have it. The top five rare submissions in U recent UFC history. I love it. All right. So we will keep moving along here as we go at our rapid fire pace, which we do for you, our fans, because we know your time is valuable and we don't like to waste it with a lot of ha ha's and LOL's and chuckles like some other UFC or MMA podcast do. We like to get right down to business and we're going to move along to our UFC Atlantic City breakdown, which is brought to you by Garage Fit. Gumby, tell us a little bit about Garage Fit. 
So GarageFit is a company that you can get online. You can get all of the necessary equipment to set up a garage system in your basement so that you can work out without having to go to the gym. Look, we're all busy. We all can't get to jujitsu, kickboxing, and get to the gym for a high-quality workout all the time. So you can actually get a high-quality workout right in your garage by going to GarageFit. That's garagegym.net. Head on over there. You can get the workout ropes. You can get weighted vests, plyo boxes, whatever it is you need to get a high-quality workout in your garage. They got it. So I'm going to give you my top three fights for UFC Atlantic City this weekend coming up. Number one, obviously you want to watch this main event with title implications. I got Kevin Lee getting the win over Edson Barboza with his wrestling. He's a negative 145 favorite, which is pretty moderate considering how much I think he's gotten the advantage here. Uh, my second favorite fight is the out the We've mentioned both these guys. I love Aljamain Sterling against Brett Johns. Don't get me wrong. Brett Johns looking real good in those submissions. But Aljamain Sterling actually comes into this fight as a plus 110 underdog against Brett Johns. Uh, he's basically fighting at home, and I really, really like him in this fight. And then even though I'm, I'm going to give a casual mention to Frankie Edgar, Cub Swanson rematch, which I'm a little less excited about, but I'm going to make my third fight Olka Sasaki versus Magomed Bibulatov. Uh, Olka Sasaki is a guy who we interviewed Ray Longo. Ray Longo is huge on. He's making big gains in his striking game, and he is an absolutely sick grappler. You can get him at plus 260 against Magomed Bibulatov here, and I think that that is an absolute steal. So my three picks for this weekend, Kevin Lee to beat Edson Barboza at negative 145, Aljamain Sterling at plus 110 to beat Brett Johns, and Olka Sasaki with the super upset at plus 260 over Magomed Bibulatov. All right, Magomed Bibulatov, that's a mouthful. You know what else is a mouthful? This podcast, and we're almost out of time, so we do just want to thank you, the fans, for listening. All our sponsors, flowcombat.com, everyone that keeps the show on, most importantly, our listeners, give us a like, give us a download, give us a subscribe, write a review. It helps keep the lights on in the Top Turtle Podcast studio. If you like what we're doing or hate what we're doing, feel free to hit us up on Gmail at Top Turtle, or sorry, Top Turtle MMA at Gmail, or hit us up on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. We would love to hear from you. I am David Tremonti, Shockwave Dave, some people call me. He is Gum uh, Daniel Gumby Vreeland because he's stretchy. They call him Gumby. And this is Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and we'll be back next week.